0: I mean, sorry about that. We were recording from the wrong uh, device, so then switched back from Bible study when it's night and friend caught that. So thank you. Amen. I let's go for the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we come to you this morning as weak and needy people. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that we are being made capable of pleasing you. Lord, how can we who are born sinners, who could do nothing to please you, seek, let alone find glory, honor, and immortality? How can we be delivered from selfish ambition and disobedience to the truth? How can we escape your just wrath, indignation, and judgment Lord, we affirm the pure righteousness of your law. We express your holy nature as written in scripture and on the human conscience. Lord, we know what is right and wrong. Yet more often than not, we find ourselves in the wrong and unable to do right. But Lord, how thankful are we for Christ's work and your spirit enabling us to put our trust in Jesus as Lord. In the moment we first believe, Lord, you granted us a new life, a new heart, a new nature, with new holy affections. And Lord, now that we are regenerated, we now have by your gracious hand a new capacity to do what is good, what is honorable, and what is righteous. We praise you, Lord, that in Christ we have been made capable of pleasing you. We cannot please you outside of knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. In what better way can we thank you, Father? And for what greater end have we been made? Father, with humility, we seek always to remember that the will and the power to do right only comes from you. Lord, you are the immortal, you are the invisible, all wise, all-knowing, and the most glorious God. Lord, you have sovereignly enabled us to know the truth, to love the truth, to live the truth, to proclaim the truth, and worship you in spirit and in truth. But Lord, if we're honest, as we face the reality of our daily lives, we know that sin still exists within us, and will seek to subdue us until we reach heavenly glory. We mourn over our sin, Lord. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. We joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner man. Lord, help us as weak people, as weak beings, to put off the old things and put on the new and be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And Lord, may we faithfully follow the humble example of our Lord. May we love him sincerely. May we glory in his cross. May we pursue what is holy and shun all that is shameful and wicked. Lord, give us courage and boldness combined with graciousness to confess the Redeemer before lost men and women, our neighbors, our our co-workers, our, our friends, even our earthly adversaries. Lord, may we diligently bear Christ's reproach May we clearly communicate his love. May we thoroughly be controlled by his spirit. And may we faithfully walk in his steps. Lord, fill us with divine wisdom from your word. And Father, I pray as we come to the close for all the faithful brethren at other churches that you bless their congregations as their pastor and elders labor to preach and shepherd the flock. Remember my brother Sylvester in Zimbabwe and Goblage and Josephus in Liberia. My brother Steve Mays in Jacksonville, Hope uh, Presbyterian, my brother Anthony and Bob and Carlton and Phil, my brother Curly, brother Cody Hill. Our brother Justin Holland my friends uh, James uh, Patterson and brother Mark Young at their churches also father we pray Lord that you be with all of these men this morning including here help us father as we prepare to preach the word bless our congregations to to be fruitful with the ministry that they are charged with doing And may these men be faithful to the gospel as Paul charged Timothy as we read earlier today to hold fast to the pattern of sound words. Now, Lord, we come now as your people gathered as one before you with all of our weaknesses and failings and needs. We know that we need you. We need the grace that has come to us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We need to hear your gospel afresh. Lord, we need the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit through the Word. We need your illumination because our eyes are often dull and darkened. Lord, we don't always understand the Scriptures. Lord, we struggle, and so we ask now that you would teach us by your Spirit through your Word. We ask, Lord, that you would move us, that you would bring to light the greatness of who you are, our neediness, and that you would stir up faith that we might look to you and you alone. I pray, Father, that you will remove from us pride in any other thought that would hinder the reception of your word as it is in truth in the word of God. I ask, Father, that as your people, that we will receive your word with hunger and thirst and gratefulness. And Lord, as we hear the word, help us to live in a way that presents Christ in as an all glorious Savior. And draw sinners to the Holy One. Lord, feed us through the word of Christ. These things we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. No guess, no mystery. We're in the book of Colossians. Of course, the theme is the supremacy of Christ. Uh, We had a good introduction last week looking at verses 1 and 2. Looking at Paul's greetings to the Colossians, we learned what it means to be a saint and be uh, a faithful brethren in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to continue. Now, second sermon in this book, looking at Paul's thanksgiving for the Colossians and the implications thereof for us as believers. So let's turn to the word of God Colossians 1 verses 3 through 8. And when Paul is saying we. He's referred to himself and Timothy who's with him and perhaps Epaphras too. So uh, as I always say especially in New Testament especially the church letters. Excuse me. When you hear the word we and us and our, you know, those personal pronouns, they're referring to the recipients of the writer. So Paul is writing to who again? The saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. So so you when you see the word we and us and ours, he's referring to the saints. He's not referring to everyone in general. <laughs> And at this point, we're talking about we're talking about himself and Timothy because Timothy was with him when he wrote this letter. So begin at verse 3 through verse 8. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learned from Epaphras Epaphras rather our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf who also declare to us your love in the spirit may the spirit give us ears to hear what he is saying to the church so in this passage here Paul is uh, essentially expressing thanksgiving for the uh, Colossians and this is a normal pattern for uh, his letters as, uh, as, as I said last week uh, with Galatians being the exception so this Thanksgiving is part of the introductory material in his letter so he begins with the prayer of Thanksgiving and this is actually a sort of a prayer and we're going to look at why that is and it blends in several petitions uh, for these Christians And remember, again, Paul begins every letter with the exception of Galatians. We look at all 13 of his letters, well, 12, because you're not including Galatians. You will see that he begins uh, with thanksgiving and praise to God for what he is doing in the churches and in the lives of her members. And that is the pattern of prayer for Christians. Also, we we thank the Lord for his work in his church, what he is doing in the church and what he is doing also in the saints so we thank god we praise god for the work that he's doing in the churches that's why i pray for churches every sunday uh you know and i I communicate with pastors regularly you know encouraging them in in prayer and they encourage me in prayer you know just thanking the lord for what he's doing among their churches and that is something that uh is a christian uh concern and duty so in this passage, we gain insight into Paul's prayer life. So Paul begins his prayer. This is just over observations here, by the way. Uh, Paul begins his prayer with thanksgiving to God, the father. He says, we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. We see that in verse three. Now, Paul's song of thanksgiving runs throughout the letter because we see it in uh, verse three and then again in verse 12, which we'll be looking at uh, next week. You'll see it in chapter 2, verse 7. You'll see it in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And you'll see it in chapter 4, verse 2. And what this does is it expresses Paul's attitude toward God and other believers. So Paul had a very thankful and grateful attitude Toward the saints of God. Now, in the Greek text, verses 3 through 8 is one whole sentence. It is an unbroken sentence. You know, when the Bible was translated to English, that's where we had commas and chapters and verses put in in later uh, translations. But in the original Greek text, verses 3 through 8 is one uh, continuous sentence. so Paul here demonstrates his attitude toward believers he was dependent upon God for everything in his life and his apostolic ministry he was very Christ centered in his prayer life and as we look at this week and especially next week we want to see how we can fortify our prayer lives how I can fortify mine how the scripture lays out patterns of things to pray for sometimes I say well preach I don't know what to pray for pray for The saints. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for other pastors in other churches and saints in other churches. So Paul here is showing us a good pattern to prayer. So the big idea of this passage is that Paul's prayer demonstrates what a person who has faith in Christ looks like. That's what it shows us. Faith in Christ is at the root of a thankful heart. It is at the root of a thankful heart. Those whose faith in Christ, those with faith in Christ, rather, will give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that thanksgiving is shown in many areas by Paul in verses 3 through 8 that we are going to look at. And what we're going to do this morning is examine uh, these areas of thanksgiving that Paul renders unto God on behalf of the saints at uh, Colossae. So we have one main principle here uh, this morning, followed by four subpoints. So faith in Christ produces a heart of thanksgiving to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at four sub-principles under that. Number one, we see in this passage as we work through it. Paul thanks God the Father. The God and Father rather of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks to God or thanksgiving to God is always appropriate for the saints. Always giving thanks is part of worship. Part of worshiping God is giving thanks to him, not just showing up at church on Sunday morning. Part of worshiping God is giving thanks to him. It is an act of worship. And why is this? Because we stand in the same relationship to God as Jesus does. He says to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is God's son by nature, and we are God's son by adoption. We talked about that in uh, Ephesians 1. So thanksgiving to God is always appropriate for saints. And we do this because it is he who creates us, who created us. He created us. He sustains us. He saves us. He secures our salvation. And he gives us eternal life. And there are myriad reasons besides those why we give thanks to God. But those are among the most important. He created us. The Bible tells us it is he who made us and not we ourselves. We have to understand that. So we have reason to thank God. Why? Because he created us. Know you that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Therefore, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you lands. So we do that. Why? Because it is he who made us. A part of a joyful noise to God is thanksgiving. Not just singing, but giving thanks or singing songs of thanks to God. Now, Paul's thanksgiving was addressed to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God has revealed himself personally and fully in the person of his eternal son. So that's why he says to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because God revealed himself personally and fully in the person of Christ. Christ himself said in the gospel of John, as John wrote it, Uh, Jesus told a group of followers, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. He said in another place in the gospel of John that I and the father are one. So Christ is. God, the father revealed. No one else can better reveal God than his own unique son. He knows the Father's eternal purpose better than anyone else. And Paul had absolute confidence in the total deity of Christ as the Son of God and as God Himself. Fully God and fully man. Paul had total confidence in that hypostatic union, as they call it. He's fully God and fully man at the same time. He doesn't switch from one mode to the other. Now, he used the verb or adverb, rather, always. He says here, praying always for you. Always is an adverb. It modifies the verb praying. Praying how? Always or how often? Always. Always can go with we give thanks. So we give thanks always. Or we always give thanks to God the Father when we pray for you. So always can be associated with we give thanks, meaning we give thanks always. It can be associated with we pray by saying we pray always. We give thanks to God always. We pray always praying always for you. So what Paul is saying is he give thanks constantly for the saints. And he prays constantly for the saints. Father, help us to pray constantly for the saints. My prayers that God gives us that heart, including myself, will give us the heart to constantly pray for the saints. Not not just when we hear news, but just on the regular, praying for the saints of God, praying for the church of God, praying for the people of God. And 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 as we always have to remember, we don't have to be where they are to pray for them. They don't have to be in earshot for our prayers to be effective because we're praying to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He hears our prayers and he responds to our prayers. So we don't have to call somebody and say, hey, I mean, it's, it's good to do it for encouragement. Hey, uh, uh, sister, so I pray for you today. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But even if you don't, even... As you pray for them, you're praying for them. And God hears those prayers when you're praying for the saints. When I pray for uh, uh, Josephus and Goblisier over there in Liberia, I mean, I don't see them unless I communicate with them on Facebook when they uh, call me through Messenger. But other than that, I, I don't see any of their church members or anything like that. That don't mean I shouldn't pray for them. I still pray for them. You don't have to be in the same vicinity of a person or same proximity to pray for the saints. But Paul says he does this always. He gives thanks always. He is praying in present tense. Pointing to the fact that he repeatedly prays for these believers. It was his lifestyle. He persists in his prayer life. And again, don't forget the fact that Paul wrote this letter from where? Prison. So what did he spend his time in prison doing? Praying for the saints encouraging the saints through letters while he was awaiting trial. He was praying for the saints. He didn't take his time moping and complaining and saying, woe is me. No on his heart. Even while he was in prison was praying for the saints and encouraging them and being encouraged by the saints. When the reports came back from the different churches where they were coming to Paul, That is how important prayer was to him. So always give thanks and praying are in the continuous present tense in the original language. That means that Paul prayed without ceasing. So why does Paul give thanks? That leads to our next principle. He thanks God for the testimony of the believers at Colossae. He demonstrates three competency uh, character traits. First, he thanks God for the testimony of these believers. First, he says he heard of their what? Faith in Christ. Look at verse four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So these are what we call accusative nouns. They are accusing them Now, accusing can be a negative connotation, but in this case, it's a positive connotation. He's accusing them of having faith. That's not a bad thing. That's a good accusation. Excuse me. When we heard, when we hear the word accusation, we always think of it, what? In a negative context, a negative connotation. But in this case, Paul is accusing them of something good. So what is the first thing? Faith in Christ Jesus. Now, this word faith refers to the initial trust in the person and the finished saving work of Christ. So he's talking about faith unto salvation. They have a saving relationship with God because of Christ. So he says, your faith in Christ Jesus, that's the saving faith. They have a saving relationship with God because of Christ. A person is not a Christian because they have faith. Make sure you remember that. A person is not a Christian because they just have faith. A lot of people say they have faith. But they are Christians because they have faith in Christ. Their faith has an object. This is why we tell people. You know, we tell people uh, when we tell people keep the faith or, or 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 just have faith, we're giving them a false hope and a false faith. Well, just keep the faith. <laughs> that's that's such a generic term. What do you mean by keep the faith? When most people say that, they mean just hope that things work out. <laughs> that's what people mean when they say that. But that's not the type of faith that Scripture speaks of. Christ is the object of our faith. That's why he says their faith in Christ Jesus. He didn't just say, when we heard of your faith, our faith has an object. Our faith has a person. Christ is the object of our faith. He is the one who saves. The sphere in which their faith resided was Christ. It wasn't just some arbitrary faith in whatever people say faith is. One term I don't like that our culture uses is someone being a person of faith. Like, what do they mean by that? A Muslim can be a person of faith. uh, A Hindu can be a person of faith. uh, An atheist can be a person of faith. They have faith that there is no God. That there's no higher power. There's no creator. That's a faith. But that's not true faith. So when Paul is thanking God for faith, he's talking about faith in Christ. It focuses our vision on Christ, not on self. That's what faith in Christ does. And next, he thanks them for what? The love for all the saints. This is that supernatural agape love. It is sacrificial at its core. He says your love for all the saints. That that superficial. Sacrificial love. That believers show. Toward one another. It's not just a feeling. It's taking action. That is in the best interest. Of the one love. And let me tell you something. That is a biblical definition of love. You need to write it down. Or re-listen to the recording biblical love is action that is in the best interest of the one love you look out for the betterment of the other person you're looking out for their best interest love is never self centered that's why when people say uh, loving, love yourself that's not love that's idolatry it's narcissism Self-love is idolatry. It is not love. Because, I say it all the time, you spend all your time loving yourself, you're never going to love anyone else. Because you're a sinner, and you're an idolater. And you're going to continuously do what? Love yourself. You're not going to have room for for anyone else. Because it's all about you. And not only do you want to, quote, love yourself, But you want other people to heap love on you also without you reciprocating, without you sacrificing, without you looking out for the interests of others. That is true biblical love, just like in the context of a marriage. I look out for the best interest of my wife, the best eternal interest of my wife, and she looks out for the best eternal interest in me because this love that scripture talks about supersedes human love because God is the author of love God is eternal and because God's eternal his love is eternal you're looking out for the eternal good of the other person think about what that means think about the implications of that you're you're thinking about their soul and the state of their soul So that's why when these people who hate God say love is love that's circular reasoning you can't define love by love what is love the world says it's a strong feeling that you have and therefore if I have a strong feeling towards another man then that's love and we should get quote married but am I looking out for his eternal good no, because we're both living in sin, in rebellion against God. Love is looking out again, people, for the eternal interests of the one love. Not just interests on this earth, but eternally their souls. That's true love. You care about their souls. You care about where they're going to spend eternity. You care about the state of their souls. So Paul commended them. He prayed and thanked God because of their love. And then next, he says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Faith, love, and hope, those, those three, the Holy Trinity. This hope here is presented as the basis of, For their faith and love. It feeds and it intensifies. Their faith and love. This hope that Paul is speaking of. Is a combination of desire. And expectation. This hope answers all. Of our struggles. About how to respond to our. Circumstances. This is what hope in Christ. Does people. He says for your hope which is laid up for you where in heaven it is a heavenly hope. It is not a earthly temporal hope. The believer's hope is inseparable from his faith. As John MacArthur once said, our hope is eternal. It's eternal hope. It is, it is hope in, in the person of Christ, this hope that he speaks of gazes, our focus on the future and of the unseen realm that future hope that we have we don't see it but we know that it's there how do we know because Christ said in John 13 chapter when he spoke to his disciples he says I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be there also that hope is laid up for us So when we're suffering in this world, when we're struggling, how do we respond to our circumstances with hope that, Lord, I know this is not going to be forever. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's hard. Yes, I don't like to go through it. But, Lord, I thank you that this earth is not it. I thank you that you have a hope laid up for us. And that encouraged Paul to see that hope in the Colossians. And it encourages us, saints, when we can point each other to that hope to that day when guess what we won't have to deal with sickness anymore we won't have to deal with sin and the effects of it anymore we won't have to deal with getting bad food at our favorite restaurant <laughs> we are not deal with that anymore. we're going to have a feast of all feasts in heaven where our eternal hope is with Christ what, what about bad food up there at the marriage supper of the lamb it's going to be all perfect That's the hope that anchors us. It encourages us. This is so, so, so good, Lord. This hope encourages us to persevere and to strive for the prize. What did Paul say? Forgetting those things that are behind and looking forward to the things that that, that are ahead. Therefore, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus our Lord. This hope that we have, guess what? It perseveres us. It gives us that oomph. It gives us that get up and go. It gives us that get up out the bed and and get to working for the Lord. Because we know that we're going to receive a reward for our faithfulness on our jobs. Our faithfulness in our homes to our children. Our faithfulness in stewardship with what he has given us. We know that one day God is going to give us crowns. That's the hope that we have as believers. That is the encouragement. 1 Peter 1 tells us that we are born again to a living hope. When people see us as believers, they should see our faith. They should see our hope and they should see our love. That's what they should see. Our faith that is real, our faith in Christ is real and how we carry ourselves and the things we do and the things we don't do. They should see it in our hope that when things are falling apart on our jobs, yes, it's distressing. Yes, it can be discouraging. Yes, our bodies ache. But we're still working with that hope. That is what propels us. We can tell people, I know that this is not it for me. That there's something better In eternity waiting for me. Do you want to know what that is? I can tell you. About it. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your Lord and Savior. Have you repented of your sins. And followed Christ. If not you don't have that hope. You're not certain of that hope. You're not assured of that hope. But you can have what I have. You can have the same hope. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that's what we can tell people look there are so many hopeless people in this world that that are around us their hope is just to get out the trailer park or get out the projects or get a new car or buy a new house or find a, a husband or a wife or hoping that their children act right or whatever case may be hoping that they can get a better job paying more all people are putting their hope in things that are not eternal it's nothing wrong with striving for those things. It's nothing wrong with striving to make more monetary jobs. It's nothing wrong with wanting to get out of a poor neighborhood. Or it's, it's nothing inherently wrong in that. But with mobility is not a sin. But that's not where we're going to find our ultimate hope. Because even when we get those things, it's not going to solve our sin problem. It's not going to ease the hopelessness that we feel in our heart without Christ. It's not going to do it. It's not going to provide that ultimate hope that is laid up for us in heaven. So Paul was encouraged by this with them. Next slide as we continue what he was thankful for. He gives thanks to God for the gospel that has been preached in the entire world. We see this in verse 6. In the end of verse 5 of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which which is modifying gospel, which has come to you, and it has also in all the world, and is bringing, bringing forth fruit. So Paul was thankful for the expansion of the gospel that the Colossians heard. He was thankful that the gospel reached them. And I love that Paul said that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. The gospel roots is where we anchor ourselves because the gospel is the word of truth. Every teaching must be measured against this standard, that the gospel is the word of truth. It is the gospel that spreads around the world. It is the gospel that changes lives. It is the gospel that bears fruit. Truth is foundational. Everything starts with gospel truth. Again, every teaching must be measured against it. As he told Timothy, hold fast. To the sound doctrine. Why? Because it is God's truth. That's what the gospel is. And Paul was thanking God for the gospel that has been preached to the entire world, including in Colossae. The gospel cannot be conquered, friends. It never will be. And his impact is not only on the world, but as Paul said, his impact was upon the Colossian church because he says that it's bearing fruit around the world, just as it has among you since the day that you heard it and come to truly appreciate God's grace. He says that at the end of verse six, as it also is among you since the day you heard and knew The grace of God. In what? Truth. What is the essence of the gospel message? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus died for our sins. According to the Old Testament prophecies. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. He died... For our sins according to the Old Testament prophecies. As Paul talked about. He rose on the third day. Having the victory over Satan. Sin and death. He offers us new life. As a free gift. Received by grace through faith. By grace you are saved through faith. Ephesians 2 and 8. He wants us to experience. The freedom from sin. That comes from being united to him and following him as Lord and Savior that is the gospel message many people are trying to live that type of life without the gospel without bowing down to Christ It won't work remember it can't work because it won't work this gospel is a universal gospel he says unto you and unto all the world the gospel is universal but it is also exclusive it's universal it's for all well it's to all but it's for those who believe it is an exclusive message Jesus said John, John's gospel Jesus gives several examples of the exclusionary nature of the gospel he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's John 14 and 6. No man comes to the Father except, that's the exclusivity, except through me. In John 10, he says, I am the door of the sheep. You can't enter into a relationship with God any other way but through who? Christ. That's why he said in John 10, I am the door of the sheep. He says, I am the true shepherd. All who, who came before me are thieves and robbers. They're hirelings. He said, "He's the good shepherd." He said, "This is John ten also. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep by name." You know, he also said in that same chapter, "His sheep know his voice." That's the exclusivity of the gospel. It is inclusive that it went out to the whole world, but it's exclusive in the fact that only through Christ. Can you be saved? He is the water that springs up. unto everlasting life. That's the woman at the well. John the fourth chapter. He is the word that became flesh. John the first chapter. And reveals the grace and truth of God. To all mankind. He is the lamb of God. That takes away the sins of the world. That's what uh, John the Baptist said. His forerunner. Behold the lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world. Only Jesus can take away the sins of the world. No one else can. He is fully man and yet the perfect Son of God. He is the only mediator between man and God. Paul says that in 1 Timothy there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. That's exclusive. He says he is the light of the world. Matthew 5 A city set on a hill. Cannot be hidden. He says, We are the light of the world, but Jesus himself said, He is the light of the world. And we look to Him to be saved. And He said in John 11, uh, at the resurrection of Lazarus, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the only one through whom we have eternal life, through whom we will be resurrected unto life. So, this gospel message that Paul is thanking them for believing. Thank God rather for them believing is universal and exclusive there's no other way to God no other way Jesus is not just some nice moral teacher he's the only way to God he's the exclusive way and what else does the gospel do we see in this text it produces results in verse 6 again and is bringing forth fruit we call this efficacious efficacious means effective the the, the the suffix EFF like effective the gospel is efficacious that means it is productive it produces results it has the power to produce the desired effect that's what efficacious means and what's the fruit that the gospel bears that it bore the life of the Colossians the fruit is The character of changed lives. When the gospel takes effect and root in a person's life, guess what? It changes them. You see a noted change. You see sanctification. You see the person growing in Christ. Doesn't mean they're not going to sin. No, but even when they sin, they're going to show gospel humility and confess their sins and repent of them asking God to help them to turn away from those sins that is how the effect of the gospel is in a person's life and it had this effect in the life of the Colossians for which Paul had thanked God for the gospel also increases it produces continuous growth that's part of fruit bearing Paul says in Romans 1 and 16, one of of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek or the Gentile. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God Is the power of God. And what is it the power of God for? Salvation. Salvation to who? Everyone who believes. Not just anybody. The gospel is the power of God for those who believe that gospel. Who believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Who believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. Who believe that Jesus died on the cross their sins who believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and who ascended to heaven and who believes that Jesus is coming back to judge the world and to reward the saints if a person believes that they're saved that is the gospel that Paul was thanking God for that was preached throughout the whole world And had any effect on them. Next principle. He thanks them for the faithful pastor. Epaphras he says here in verse 7. As you also learn. What did they learn? The gospel. The grace of God and truth. So we're going back to. uh, Verse the end of verse 5. The truth of the gospel. Which came to them is bearing fruit as you also learned from Epaphras. So, what did they learn from Epaphras again? The gospel. The gospel was brought to them by Epaphras who reported to Paul about this spiritual condition. We see that in the verses, the rest of these verses. Our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So, Paul was given thanks for the good report of the Colossian believers. So, Epaphras was a dearly loved fellow servant and a faithful minister in Christ. So, this means that the word of truth, the gospel, was delivered by a trustworthy messenger who serves. and that is the way the gospel should come the gospel should always come by those who are faithful not those who are false teachers don't bring the gospel false teachers don't preach the gospel they preach a false gospel which paul said in galatians one is no gospel at all paul said let that person be anathema let them be cursed who preach another gospel? He said, "If if I, or even an angel for heaven, preaches a different gospel from what you have heard, let them be anathema, let them be accursed. Why? Because that is how serious the true gospel is. God calls faithful ministers to be faithful to preach the gospel, and Epaphras was one of them. And Paul commended. Thank God for him being a faithful minister." To this church. To this group of people. We thank God. We pray for faithful ministers. I pray for faithful pastors. And I pray for my friends. Who are not faithful. To be faithful. To be true preachers of the gospel. To be heralds of the truth. To repent. Of their false teaching. And preach the true gospel. To their congregations. So. We can thank God for the the true and the faithful brethren who are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and Epaphras was one of them. He's a faithful minister on their behalf. And lastly, Paul gave thanks for the spirit-inspired love in their lives. He says, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. So Epaphras spent time in Colossae. As I said earlier, Paul, when he was in jail, he had his fellow workers going to the churches and reporting back to him what was taking place. That's what some of the gospel workers uh, did. And so Epaphras reported to Paul the love that the saints had. And where did this love come from? The effectual work of the gospel. Friends, the gospel produces love in all believers. The gospel produces love in believers for other believers. And the gospel produces love in believers for those who are unbelievers, those who are lost. We pray for them, we grieve for them that they're that they're not saved, and we pray for them to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we do. It produces that love in us. When you come to Christ. And he saves you. We begin to produce that love. For the saints. And it shows and it is evident. Amen. Conclusion and applications here. The expression of thanksgiving. Is something. That is an excellent way to begin our prayers from a grateful heart. When we pray to God, we, we thank him first. And after we express our thanksgiving to God, we can readily begin to make our petitions for blessings on the spiritual needs of others. But the best thing to do first is to begin our prayers with thanksgiving. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for waking me up. I thank you for Christ, sending Christ into this world. I thank you for Christ saving me from my sins. I thank you for the work of Christ. In advocating for me. The work of Christ. and bringing my prayers before your throne. The work of Christ as my advocate. The work of Christ. As my high priest. Whom I can go to anytime. You just thank the Lord for who he is. That he is the all knowing God. Lord I thank you for just knowing all things. I thank you for being all sufficient. I thank you for being my my savior. You know we come to God and just. Give him thanks. Thanking him for who he is, for what he has done, for his work through Christ, what he is doing in the world. We thanks God. We don't just get down and say, Lord, bless me, mine, and I, and amen. Lord, thank you for giving me the voice to pray. Some people can't talk. Lord, thank you for giving me eyes to see because some people are blind. Lord, thank you for giving me a job. It may not be the job that I like, but there's some people who are unemployed. Lord, thank you for these children you give me. They may drive me crazy sometimes, but you got some women out there who are infertile, whose wounds have been shut see how much we have to thank God for so we could begin our prayers that way Lord thank you for the car that I have some people have to patent it. some people have to take the bus take the cab take the taxi some people have to hit rides. Lord thank you for the house I stand I could be living under a bridge I could be sleeping on top of a, a, a heating grate because it's cold outside or I could be having to go sleep in a warming shelter Sometimes when it's real cold outside, uh, sometimes I'm like, man, you got people that actually live out in this weather. They got tents with little butane heaters inside of them, and that's the only way they can keep warm. We have a lot to thank God for when we go before him in prayer. But the greatest thing, if you're a Christian, you thank God for saving you. That's a miracle. He took you from being spiritually led to spiritually alive. You thank God for that because you didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to be saved. You just save yourself and so you thank yourself Lord I, I thank me for saving me for my sins Lord I thank myself it's like people get on Facebook I said if it's if somebody does this I'm, I'm sorry I'm not trying to offend when people get on face, Facebook and say happy birthday to me that's like the most cringe thing ever that's what people do on Facebook happy birthday to me <laughs> I thought other people were supposed to have birthday to you. <laughs> and they'll give you like a countdown. 28 days until 53 or 35 or 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 whatever. Because we want all this attention because we're selfish and self-centered. That's, that's what the problem is. We're not thankful. There people on Facebook who don't even know you. You'll say thank you for all the birth, the next day you'll say, thank you for all the wishes on my birthday, I've, 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 I I've felt so, so, so grateful, and then you got other people say, happy birthday, happy birthday, you know, like they missed it the day before, but you had to put that on there just in case somebody missed it so that you can get more happy birthday wishes. Oh Did I break it down correctly? That's the human heart, that's sinful, that's selfish. We show that We show that false humility, but we rarely give thanks to God when we begin our prayers. All right, let's close out with our applications here. Number one faith in Christ compels us to share the gospel message with others. It does. We can share the hope that we have in Christ with those who don't. And we should not be hopeless as believers. Our hope has been secured. It is there. And guess what? Can't nobody take it from us. No circumstances. I just said a double negative. Can't nobody. Being an English teacher. Uh, But no one can take it from us. No circumstances. No amount of discouragement can take our hope from us. Faith in Christ produces a heart filled with thanksgiving. We just talked about that. Not going to. That horse is already dead. Faith in Christ guides our hearts to our eternal hope. Again, we're going through this hard life. That faith that we have in Christ points us to him. We saw in that song this morning, Christ is mine forevermore. That's the hope that we have, that no matter what. What did Paul say in Romans 8? Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And in the Greek, nothing means nothing. No circumstance, no amount of discouragement or depression or whatever you want to call it can separate you from the love of God. No amount of bad news can separate you from the love of God. None. You can lose all your earthly possessions. What did Job say when he lost everything? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because Job had that ultimate hope in the Lord. And faith in Christ, lastly, encourages our co-laborers. We can be encouraged by each other's faith in Christ as believers. We're all fellow co-laborers in the work of Christ. Our faith and perseverance encourages others. When I see people growing in their faith in Christ, I get encouraged by that. It encourages me to see that. And we should be encouraged to see it in others our faith in Christ encourages co-laborers it spreads it's it's, uh, contagious we're encouraged by it all let us pray Father we thank you for your word we thank you for the encouragement that Paul found the things that he gave thanks for in the saints Lord may we be found in these things also may we be found having love for all the saints looking to the hope that is laid up for us in heaven having the gospel being effectual in our lives being faithful servants Showing that faith, hope, and love toward one another and toward those who are unbelievers. Lord, may you do that work in us. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, they don't have hope right now. They don't, they don't have a true hope. They may wish things would be a certain way, but Lord, they don't ultimately have a hope in you. Lord, I pray that when they hear the gospel, which is effective to the saving of souls, that they may be pricked at heart, that they may repent and turn to you and plead for you to save them. And, Lord, you are gracious and mighty to save those who call on you. Lord, thank you for your word. Until we meet again, may the grace of the Lord be with us all. Amen.